Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Merrill Matthews with the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is September 5th, 2023, and I'm joined today by Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute in Washington, D.C. Grace Marie has been involved in reforming the healthcare system for decades, and Galen is one of, if not the most influential health policy think tank in the country. Several conservative-leaning groups have been developing health care reform proposals so that when the opportunity arises and members want to try to reform the current health care system that is such a mess, there will be a well-thought-out plan for people to ta- pick up, members of Congress to pick up and run with. Today we're going to be discussing some of those options. So Grace Marie, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure, Meryl. Now, recently you uh, you highlighted three Hoover scholars who have developed a plan. I think there's also the consensus group plan. There may be another one or two. Uh, it's not the Hoover plan that they were highlighting, but it is three of them who are, are associated with the Hoover Institute. Let's start with that and just go through some of the key points that they're trying to uh, stress in their reform plan. Well, first, if you don't mind, maybe a little bit of context. context. I am have read so many times that it just, every time it just, you know, makes me so angry when I read reporters saying Republicans have no ideas on health reform. Yes. That's crazy. They say, oh, the reason they failed in 2017 to do repeal and replace was because Republicans had no ideas. We had, we had ideas, we had a plan ready to go, and it was Senator, the late Senator John McCain, mm-hmm. with his thumbs down, yes. to basically shut down the entire debate over really good ideas that would give people more choices, that would give the market the ability to create more options for people, more affordable options of, of care and health care arrangements. Conservatives have so many ideas, and maybe too many ideas, to, to get our health sector back on track with more choices more affordable care, not the ridiculously high deductibles with the narrow networks and lack of access to care that we see today. And and just a couple of weeks ago, our colleagues Lan He Chen, Tom Church, and Daniel Heal from the Hoover Institution, Institution at Stanford University unveiled the latest plan that they call the Choices for All Project. And they they provide a lot of new incentives through the tax code for people to create individual health accounts that they can use to save money and purchase both coverage and care and, and on the, uh, through the tax-preferred accounts. They want to, and I'm not sure what we think about this, but equalize the tax treatment of health mm-hmm. insurance and out-of-pocket expenses. That certainly gives an extra boost to health priority over health care costs and health care expenses over other things that families might find are equally important, like food and housing and transportation. But nonetheless, they're really trying to give people an incentive to invest and in their own care to be able to save money when they make more reasonable decisions. And also, they, they provide a lot of room for health plans to create more affordable options. Right now, most health plans are really forced into 
the government's cookie-cutter plan. They really can't innovate. They can't come up with, with different plans because the government basically says it's this or nothing. And so they want to expand waiver authority so states can be able to, to encourage more creative plans and allow association health plans. Exchanges can offer a, a more of a variety of plans than they do now. And also to, to allow people who are on Medicaid 90 million Americans mm -hmm. are now on Medicaid, and, and many of them find it almost impossible to find a physician to see them because the payment rates are so little. They need an escape plan as well to be able to, to use the value of their Medicaid subsidy to purchase private coverage. I Just one example, if I may, Meryl. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine is a physician in Florida, who uh, is a pulmonologist, and he had a lung patient that came to see him with a lot of complexities. He said that if I, private insurers were paying me for the course of treatment that I uh, offered to this patient, I'd probably get about $750, he said. When he, but he takes Medicaid patients, and he said when he got the check from Medicaid for treating that patient, the check was for six cents. <laughs> that explains, I think, why it is so difficult for people to find a physician to see them. They, they can't even keep the lights on for that amount of money. So they, so people on Medicaid also need an escape hatch. But in, in order to do that, we need to, as, as Lanny says, expand the supply of health care to remove barriers to practicing medicine so people are practicing at their highest and best use of their license, um, allow remove restrictions on new and expanded healthcare facilities. If the, the doctor wants to start a private hospital or maybe, heaven forbid, rescue a, a facility in a rural area that's otherwise going to close, they're not allowed to do that. Under federal law, their physicians are prohibited from starting new physician-owned hospitals. We need to end that. Physicians know how to practice medicine. They know what their patients need, and right now they're barred from doing it. So there, there's a lot of ways that they want to increase coverage options, increase the supply of health care, give people more control over their money, and um, empower, empower people on public programs to have more choices. So, Grace Marie, let's talk just a little bit about this plan because this is not a radical reform. It's not a repeal and replace reform because they're not, plan they're not proposing to do away with the Affordable Care Act. They're not doing away with Medicare. They're not doing away with Medicaid. They're simply adding some options to what people have available right now. Is that correct? That's correct, and I think that's I think that's pretty much where everybody is. When mm -hmm. when John McCain did thumbs down and repeal and replace, that was it. Too many people are reliant on Obamacare plans now, and the market for any other kind of insurance is completely vanished. So they have nowhere else to go. We have to work with the system we have, and poll after poll shows that the American people do not want another overhaul of our health care system. They want us to fix it, but you need to fix it strategically. And that means using the resources that are already on the table, giving people more options, and allowing consumers and competition to be part of part of the conversation. They're they're so shut out now. You know, they're treated like 
like cattle, basically. You buy them, you know, in fact, insurance companies talk about heads. You know, how many heads do you cover? I'm sorry, but people are individuals with, with ideas, with needs, and no one government-run solution is going to work, Bernie Sanders, nor are we going to be able to do a complete overhaul. We need to have this kind of strategic decisions, strategic options for people who really feel right now that they, they just don't have anywhere else to turn. Now, talk a bit about the consensus group plan. The consensus group plan, thank you, Meryl, for your participation in this. I run a, a group that's composed of several hundred people from the major market-oriented think tanks around the country and in Washington that meets regularly to try to offer ideas to legislators, both at the federal and the state level, about things they can do to help reform our health sector from a free market, patient-centered perspective. So we came up with the Consumer Choice 2020 plan, and it, it is really... It, it would use the existing resources and, and eventually get those down through the states to individuals to be able to make their own choices of uh, the health care plan that works for them. It's really like having school choice for health care. Just as, as the money follows the student, the money should follow the patient and the family. So that instead of Washington deciding what kind of health care you have to have, you get to decide what kind of health care you need and what works for you and your family. And you would see, begin to see the market flower with new options as they're trying to attract consumers to new and better products. So much is possible in our health sector, but it's not going to happen when Washington is treating the whole rest of the health care system like a puppet and what's that? they pull all the strings and we do exactly what they say. No, we need to have to take back control, and the only way we're going to do that is by controlling the money. So the consensus group plan has a system through which we would work with the states, use existing Obamacare money to give people the option to purchase coverage, and to especially make sure that the most vulnerable are prioritized in being able to get the care and the coverage that they need. And the physicians will be paid more than six cents for treating Medicaid patients. And so is, is, is there other elements to this, or is this primarily just sort of opening it up with some options, uh, essentially a school choice provision? Well, that's, that's really, when you look at how programs are structured, you sort of have to look at the flow of the money, follow the money, right? Mm -hmm. We've heard that of number. But there are a lot of other things that need to be done regulatorily as well. We also have in our plan reforms of health savings accounts so that people, more people can have access to health savings accounts. Can I just say, the, for such a long time, people really said, oh, health savings accounts, who can afford those high deductibles before, you, before your coverage kicks in? Well, Actually, the deductibles for health savings accounts today are lower than the deductibles for the average program, average Obamacare plan. So Obamacare plans may have deductibles of five, six, seven thousand dollars. For somebody who's making thirty or forty thousand dollars a year, that's a prohibitively high deductible. People need health savings accounts so they can put money aside 
pay for out-of-pocket expenses or their health care, and then also have coverage that, that provides them with access to the doctors that they want to see rather than these shrinking, tiny, narrow networks, the physicians being so busy that they don't even have time to make an appointment with you. So yep. we need to have more options for people, health savings accounts. We talk about um, competition and the, the need for to for the Federal Trade Commission to look at hospital consolidation, for example, buying up doctors' practices, buying up hospitals, monopolies in so many cities, so that they're really controlling, they have no competition to keep prices down and to become more efficient. There are a lot of things that we are looking at sort of strategically throughout the healthcare system of what can we do to make the system work better. That's the overriding you not only of our plan, of Lanhe's plan, and of three or four other serious plans that are out there. Heritage has its, has its own plan. The Heritage Foundation, America First Policy Institute has a good plan. The Heartland Institute has a plan. The Foundation for um, of Free Up Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity out of out of Austin has its plan. There are so many good options, but they all are organized, Meryl, around this same idea that we want to put patients first. We want to make where we can make the health sector work like the rest of the economy so that companies are competing to provide care and coverage that people actually want to buy rather than being forced to buy. You know, just to highlight this issue of the deductible, in the 90s and the 2000s, and you and I were talking about the high deductible plan because we were saying you needed a high deductible plan with a health savings account in conjunction with that in order to be able to pay the regular routine health care expenditures. And we frequently got hammered by Democrats saying, oh, you just must be in the pocket of the insurance companies because you want this high deductible policy. And we were talking about maybe $2,000, $2,500, something like that for a family. And now, as you point out, the bronze plans can be $7,000 for an individual, $14,000 for a family, and Democrats don't see that as a problem anymore. And, and we would have never proposed anything quite that high. Exactly right. And, and Meryl, we know also that, that competition and consumer choice works. We have examples of that. We see it, for example, in the Medicare prescription drug benefit, Part yes. D, before it's being so completely bowled up by recent legislation, where individual seniors have basically a stipend that follows them. They get to choose from, you know, in usually a dozen different plans where they live. They can see the drugs that are being offered. They see the premium that they would have to pay to get that. And it has kept premiums basically at the same level for 15 years. That's unheard of in a federal program, coming in under the CBO's expected cost. And it's because you're giving seniors an incentive to purchase coverage that works for them you have subsidies to make sure that they can afford, that people with lower incomes in particular can, can afford that coverage. And you make the choices transparent, which forces the companies to really try to offer the best deal. That works in healthcare. It's not going to work when somebody's wheeled into an emergency room on a gurney and the doctor looks over and said, you know, 
I'd really like to do a CAT scan, but maybe you can only afford an x-ray, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about purchasing the kind of coverage, the kind of insurance you would have if you go to an emergency room. And that's something you can do around your kitchen table to decide, you know, how much, how much do you want to pay in premiums? What are your network options? Which hospitals do you want to, do you want to have in your network? Walmart actually did that for a period before Obamacare, giving their employees an opportunity to actually select and design their own health plan. We could do that again. It's all been shut down by this top-down command and control Washington knows best system, and we have to break out of that. We're not going to do it all at once. We have to do it by beginning to give people choices, get the market to respond to consumers, rather than to Washington bureaucrats, which is what they're doing now. And, you know, in that Medicare Part D plan, which passed in 2003, I'll, I'll highlight that you were a supporter of that. I had my doubts, but Part D has worked out very, very well. And that is where negotiations actually go on between drug companies and private sector health insurers, unlike this new effort that President Biden is trying to do, which he calls negotiations, which are not negotiations, but they're price controls on prescription drugs. Yeah, it's no, it's no more than negotiating with the mafia. I mean, these people, the companies are going to be kneecapped if they don't, if they don't participate. Fines of nineteen hundred percent of your top um, of your best-selling drug and your profit from that. I mean, that's crazy. There is one more plan I should mention by introduced by Representative Pete Sessions of Texas that is the again a health reform plan, a comprehensive health reform plan that is based upon many of the principles of the consensus group plan, all of it taking returning power to consumers and to the authority for markets to be able to respond to consumer demand for more affordable policies. So there are a lot of conservative ideas and plans out there. And yes, they're different, but they all are based around this same philosophy that basically we've got to get Washington out of the business of trying to control the whole health sector. It's a $4 trillion annual economy. There is no way that Washington knows better than the American people and the physicians and entrepreneurs around the country about what we need going forward for health care arrangements, access to care, and yet always prioritizing the government's role to make care to take care of the most vulnerable, who really often get kicked aside during these negotiations because of their lack of political power. They are the ones that often often struggle the most to get the care they need. We've got to prioritize the vulnerable, and the way we do that is by giving an opportunity for everyone else to be able to get the care and coverage that works for them, that's affordable, and the market responds to their needs. And if our listeners want to find out more about the Galen Institute, where do they go? I'd love for them to visit us at Galen, G-A-L-E-N dot org. And they'll find lots of information there, which is available for on health policy reform and other things that are happening in the health care system and the health policy debate. So, Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute, thank you for joining us. Wonderful to be with you. Thanks, Marilyn. Thanks for being able to work with you for so many years on these issues. And we invite you to visit our website at IPI.org 
and to sign up if you'd like to receive notices of all of our new podcast content and events. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform? You can also help sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.